you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This Bendrovsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Bendrovsky Show. The newspapers are filled with stories about the coronavirus and the... Uh, the shutdowns all over the world. Uh, it is Wednesday, March 25th, as I talk. And uh, we're going to take a break and talk about something else other than coronavirus and Trump and Pritzker and politics. And so, you know what? As we always do on bonus shows, let me uh, ask our distinguished guest to introduce himself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Joe Colley of the Chicago Sun-Times. Bulls writer. Yes, sir. Joe Colley, Bulls writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. Everybody knows I am a diehard, lifelong Chicago Bulls fan. And even though, Joe Colley, you know this as well as I do, this is a show mainly about politics. I try to make time yep. to have some Bulls talk. So all you political junkies out there who turn to our show to talk politics, you have a pass not to listen to this, but I know there's a lot of Bulls fans out there. This is like, I think, our fifth interview with Joe Colley on the state of the Bulls. And those interviews, Joe, do very well, despite the fact that we're a political talk show. So it's going to be uh, Bulls talk, basketball talk. Man, do I need it, Joe. I'm a diehard Bulls fan. Um, a my whole life I've been an NBA fan. How long has it been now since the NBA has been out? Uh, about two weeks. Two weeks. A little over two weeks. Yeah. So before we take the deep dive into uh, the Bulls, you've had a number of scoops in the last couple of weeks. What's sort of the future? Uh, what are you hearing from your sources about whether there'll be a season, if there'll be a season, when it will start, all that stuff? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody knows if there's going to be a season or what that season will entail. I think the, the ownership and obviously the commissioner – um, and obviously the playoff teams want a season of some sort. I just can't fathom the idea they would pick this thing up, up right where they left off because, all right, best case scenario, you have to have some sort of week-long training camp to get guys back in shape. The teams that are completely out of it have no incentive to play any of their guys and jeopardize them for next season for 17 games. There's just no reason. So you're going to have really sloppy basketball from night to night with half the teams trying to position themselves for the playoffs and the other half playing their G League guys and protecting the Zach Levines and, 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 the, and the Kobe Whites. I mean, there's no reason to put those guys out there in that kind of situation. So I think if the NBA tries finishing these last 16, 17 games, whatever some certain teams have on the schedule, it'd be ludicrous. It'd just be awful, awful basketball. I'd rather see them go ahead and, and – um, Either I have this kind of crazy idea of having a 
huge tournament where everyone's in it, like an NCAA tournament. And if you do want to tank, then that's going to hurt, you know, the teams that are don't make the playoffs or don't make that second round. Um, how bad you lose, whether it's point differential with your record and, and how badly you lose in this NCAA-style tournament determines your draft uh, order. So there is a penalty if you want to go ahead and not put anyone out there. It, it hurts your draft order. So if you are going to do something crazy, I would like to see something like that. Um, that would be interesting. Otherwise, just give this – you know, shut down the teams that are out of it. Hey, teams like New Orleans, teams that were coming – couple games out and felt like hey if 16 17 more games be better next year yeah. sorry i mean you, you know sample sizes out there you didn't have zion that's unfortunate but sorry i mean these are these are trying times and difficult times so i'd rather see something like that play out where they either go all in with something crazy or they just say look playoff teams let's get this thing going we'll start this thing mid-may late may and no fans in the arena and try and get it done but Again, no one has any answers. It's just all stuff just thrown out there as possible scenarios. And, you know, we're just all sitting and waiting to see what happens. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm with you. I, I, I like that first idea you had. I, I don't think it'll happen. I don't think there'll be a season. My guess is they're just going to let it go and hope to start in October. But I love the attitude of uh, a winner takes all tournament. Everybody's in the in the mix. Let's see. What, that's the only chance the Bulls have. Of, <laughs> would that well, be a miracle? You, get it, done in, you yeah. get it done in two weeks. I mean, if you think about it, you technically would get it done in two weeks unless you want to extend it and say, okay, when you get to the, the you know, the first two teams would get a buy. So you would buy Lakers. Milwaukee would get the buy. That, that puts, uh, that narrows it down to 28. And then all of a sudden you'll have a sweet 16 after one round. Mm -hmm. So you'll have it narrowed down pretty quickly and you can actually get it done fairly quickly and then get these guys out um, back home and, um, you know, starting their off season. Unless the plan is to change the whole NBA calendar as we know it, which has been floated around for a couple of years where the season would now start on Christmas Day and it would go through August so that it doesn't mess with, so the NFL can't mess with the ratings like it has in the past. That's also a scenario, um, you know, so, you know, we'll see. Whoa! I hadn't heard that. What's in other words? Uh, there would be that, that idea has been floated. That idea has been floated out for a while after the short striking season. Yeah. Um, when they played sixty six, they started on Christmas Day. Um, they were thinking back then of how nice it was to start it once the NFL is almost near its end, and you start your NBA season on Christmas Day. You run it through August. You know, by the time the finals went, everything would end in August, right before the you'd hand it right back to the NFL season. So. Commissioner Silver has kicked that around for a couple of years, changing the whole NBA calendar, and this would allow that to happen as, as we know moving forward. Well, I say just have a year round. There you go. That just settles my uh, <laughs> despondency <laughs> in the summer. Uh, I, uh, just let's go year, year, to 12 months a year of basketball. Um, all right, and then the other point, which I didn't get a chance to talk to you about, I haven't talked to you uh, since before the All-Star game, Joe, is I loved right. the All-Star game here in Chicago where they went to the new format uh, where for the fourth quarter. Uh, is there any chance that that will be implemented uh, next year? No, I think it's going to stay in the All-Star game, and I think it's going to stay um, – and you know, some, there's I know there's some G League things that kicked the, there's some rules they kicked around in the G League and some things they've tried there. But 
I don't think so. I, I just, that's, to me, that's too big of a change. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I couldn't see that being implemented. I think they liked it for the all-star game because of the lack of competitiveness, but we, we don't see, I mean, we see some bad basketball from night to night, but we don't see all-star just sit back and let guys do layups and dunks until the final couple minutes of the fourth quarter on a night-to-night basis. Is there bad basketball? Obviously. But I don't think they need to go ahead and implement something like that at this point. All right, well, we'll take the deep dive on that one at another time. Let's get down to the Bulls uh, for our Bulls junkies who need uh, their fill. Uh, You've had three, two big scoops, I would say, uh, and and today's story about Kobe White. Let's start with your biggest scoop, I think. uh, Gar Foreman is on his way out. Uh, and you did a story a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. I can't remember when it ran. It's all coming together with uh, the coronavirus, Joe. Uh, right. we, you, you quoted somebody, some unnamed, unnamed person in the Bulls organization who said there's a reason Gar Foreman uh, has not been seen around Bulls camp. He is, quote, scouting in Siberia, which was sort of a sardonic way of saying he's just kind of quietly left the building. Uh, give right. folks the details on this. Well, I mean, this has been this isn't anything new that he slowly has. This last year has slowly just kind of been put. I mean, two years ago they slowly started taking him out of the public eye, and he wasn't doing any kind of press conferences, anything. And then at the beginning of the fall this year, with with Bulls Media Day, he was not supposed to be on the dais, um, the front office dais. It was just supposed to be Boylan and, and Paxson at the last second someone came up with the idea that Gar needs to be out there. So they did march Gar out there for that with the hope that they can start putting him back out there and start, you know, taking the burden off John Paxson to do all these press conferences. And then, you know, that didn't go over well. The fan base just did not react well to anything Gar has to say. Um, There's just kind of an instant hatred for the way he just comes across. Um, And, then, to me, the final straw was the Luol Dang night when they were trying to honor Luol Dang and, and some former players complained that, that Gar was just in his phone giving head nods. And as one, as one player told me, you know, we, we, we gave it all for this organization and this guy, we bled for this guy, we sweat for this guy, and we come back and he could barely get his head out of his phone just to give us a head nod. And that rubbed some guys the wrong way. That got back to Jerry. Uh, that didn't sit well with Jerry, who, who likes loyalty and likes his – former players coming back and being part of this thing and, and this, this Bulls family. So to me, that was the kind of the, the final straw, but Gar was on thin ice for a while. And so, um, you know, it's just a matter of now, does Jerry at the last minute come out and say, no, I still want him in the circle somehow. But the problem with that is if you are bringing in a new front office a new general manager, without question, there's going to be a new general manager, um, a new, whether it's a VP of basketball operations or whatever title you want to give him, and he's worth a damn, he's going to want to bring in his people, and he's going to want to bring in his scouts, and he's going to want to bring in his analytics department, his coaching staff. So the idea of Jerry Reinsdorf wanting to safeguard Foreman, it just doesn't make sense. And I think you would have a hard time landing anyone who's, um, you know, worth that position with the caveat of, yes, we're giving you this power, but we got a couple made men that you can't whack. Yeah. 
And so I would have a problem. Uh, and I, and I, and if, if a guy does agree to that, then he's really not good at his job. So, um, you know, to me, the only thing, the only scenario that Gar would still be around is if Jerry, they hire someone weak who's just a puppet. And one of the stipulations is, no, we still want Gar around in some capacity. It will not be in general manager capacity. Um, he is gone. Um, I, that, that story, as soon as I broke that story on All-Star Sunday, um, the writing was on the wall. The car was gone. All right. Now, I'm speaking as a diehard Bulls fan. Uh, my opinion is that Gar Foreman has been a disaster for my beloved Chicago Bulls. Uh, in your sto- in your article about his tenure at the Bulls, you gave him credit, and I think he deserves credit, obviously, for drafting Jimmy Butler. So let's give him credit for that. Let's start with the positive. Right. Other than that, Joe, and I'm speaking as a Bulls fan since 1966, uh, I could just go one draft after another, baffling. Marquise Teague, uh, drafting him. Uh, just because Calipari got on the phone and sweet-talked him. Trading Doug McDermott for two first-round draft choices uh, that have both turned into very productive players. Uh, Bobby Portis, who, I mean, ends up slugging Miritich, and now he's been, you know, he's in New York. I could go down the list. Uh, One bad draft after another. That's how I view it. That's how most diehard Bulls fans view it. Uh, from your perspective, am I being too unfair to Gar Foreman? Uh, is he better than most Bulls fans view him? No, I mean the draft thing is one thing. I, he's actually been pretty solid as a as a drafter. That's not the concern. To me, this is a worldwide brand. The Chicago Bulls are a worldwide brand. The fact that they have a general manager that they have to hide, <laughs> that they can't put out there publicly to talk to the media, and more importantly a general manager that is despised league-wide by current players, current superstars, um, the other executives, agents, as someone who is just a bag man that he was back in his college days, that he was absolved from, allegedly. But the fact that this is a guy that has to sit down with mega superstars after they go down to Miami and sit with Pat Riley and Spolstra, after they go to L.A. and they sit with whoever it is, you know, at times it was Magic and, and, and you know, Palinka or LeBron, whoever they want to march out with that. Then they come to Chicago and they have to sit with Gar Foreman. I mean, to me, that is the biggest lopsided <laughs> part of this job is this guy is so despised and his reputation is so poor across the league amongst players. The fact that you're eventually somehow going to have to get a superstar here and you have to hide your general manager to do so is the ultimate sin. So start there. The draft to me is secondary almost. The, the misses on the draft. That's, then the free agents that he yeah. – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that shows you how bad things are. If the draft is secondary – you're absolutely correct, by the way, with, with what you, that riff you just went on. You're you're absolutely correct, uh, but that just underscores how bad it is at the draft secondary. But go on, go on to the free agents. Go ahead. Right, and and, and the other thing, that even the the um, the consolation prize free agents that he's landed, it's it's almost like, yeah, I mean, you're they're coming here, but um, no, there hasn't been a free agent that's come here to me and said. This is the place I've wanted to be. It's almost like it's, yeah, they kind of sold me on the money grab of it. And, and 
you know, I, I, you just don't have these guys that are coming here and just feel like they want to be here. It's almost like they're, they're mercs and they're just kind of paid to do a, a job and they're not embracing the Bulls culture. And, and, and I think that goes to the fact that they just don't believe in the, in the G, in the GM or they don't believe in what he's selling. And then, you know, and then look at all the, to me, you're either doing two things as a general manager. You're trying to win or you're trying to survive. And Gar Foreman has written the book on how to survive. <laughs> and so people want to get pissed at Jim Boylan for being kind of an operator and kind of a salesman of what, what he wants to say. Well, hell, this is a culture that has promoted that. So you can't get mad at Jim Boylan for doing what he's learned from the general manager and what kept the general manager around. So. Um, you know, there's just so many, you know, players feel like he lied to him. Thibodeau, you know, he would be, you know, forget his spies, you know, the whole Randy Brown thing and just the spies he has throughout the organization, confiscating phones, confiscating notebooks and, and anything he felt where people were leaking negative stuff about him, um, which to me, when you're operating under paranoia, that shows me the self-confidence you have in your, the job you've done. Um, but just the, the, the idea that, with the, the whole Thibodeau and, and Paxton and, and Gar Foreman dynamic, you know, the one thing you could say is John and, T- and Tibbs have, you know, I've written this a couple times, have patched things up. They speak, they're on good terms. Tibbs, Tibbs, Thibodeau always knew where he stood with Pax. That was not the problem. The concern, as, as, as was put to me, was it was the guy who was coming to put the apple on his desk in Gar Foreman. Because you didn't know if that apple had poison in it or you didn't know if that apple had a wire in it, or you didn't know. But, you know, he always plays both sides of the fence. So um, I think he's just done so much damage as general manager to this organization that that the drafting, yes, there's been some misses. Every organization has misses. He's had a couple hits back in the day. But when you had a really good coach like Thibodeau, that made your draft picks look so much better because Tibbs knew how to develop guys. Right. When that's stripped away, that really good coach is stripped away, and you are drafting, and the guys just really have to be talented and kind of develop on their own, we're seeing that drafting kind of exposed. So, you know, the idea that Gar is this great draft scout that he proclaimed to be for all those years, uh, he had about a five- or six-year span where Thibodeau made a lot of his picks look really good, and a lot of his moves look good. DJ Augustine, um, Nate Robinson. I mean, Tony Snell, no one's been able to get out of Tony Snell what, what Tibbs did that first year of Tony Snell. And uh, Marcus T, Tibbs actually made Marcus T serviceable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he made Marcus T a serviceable player. That, to me, is the biggest miracle of the Tibbs era. So, you know, the idea yeah. that, that Gar was hitting on these guys, you really have to look at, yes, he was bringing in some good guys, but also there was a great coach in place. All right, him. let's talk about that. You sort of suggested, or maybe I was reading into it, the possibility, the notion that the door is open for Tibbs once they uh, dispatch Foreman to Siberia. Uh, the door is open for a Tibbs return to Chicago. Was I reading too much into that column you wrote a couple weeks back? No. Here's what here's what I'll say about that: as if Jerry. Tibbs has nothing against Jerry. As much as Jerry kicked him in the stones, walking out of the door, knowing that Tibbs couldn't say anything back, otherwise the contract would be void if he publicly, you know, had anything discouraging to say. Um, 
he's forgiven that. Tibbs has moved on from that. Tibbs had nothing but great things to say about Michael Reinsdorf. Tibbs and Paxton have repaired their relationship. If a new uh, voice came in and it was a voice that Tibbs respected and felt good about, I don't think he would have any problem coming back to the Bulls and working for Jerry Reinsdorf again. But the one person who couldn't be in the building is Gar Foreman. Mm-hmm. Gar Foreman cannot be in the building if Tom Thibodeau is coming back in any capacity. That I know. I mean, you know, and, you know, Paxton and Tibbs probably had the most volatile relationship, but that was both because they were both competitive guys and they both wanted to win. And the Derrick Rose thing, once Derrick's knee went, um, that changed everybody's aspect, everybody's mood, everybody's, the, the way they thought about each other. I mean, that was just damaging to the organization in so many ways. Um, because before that, they all felt great about everything that was going on. So, no, I, 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 Tibbs loves Chicago, loves the Bulls brand, is not afraid to operate under that, that shadow of that statue in the atrium, um, loves the idea of selling Chicago to free agents. Um, I, he would have no problem coming back, but there's a couple people in that building that would absolutely have to be gone. Well, if your last story is uh, uh, going to be proved to be true, uh, that one person that absolutely has to leave has left. He's in mm-hmm. Siberia. So uh, maybe there's a chance that Tibbs would come back. Uh, but the bigger issue is who will be the person in charge? In the old days, we called them general managers. I don't know what the titles are these days, uh, Joe. Right. Who would be the person in charge of basketball operations? What's your sense of who the Bulls will take? Well, here's the problem. They haven't even identified how many guys they're bringing in. So there's not there's not oh, a sense of, okay, they're going to bring one guy in and give him this title. The entire front office needs an enema. The entire front office is behind the times from, from scouting. They have a very small scouting staff um, compared to other NBA teams. From analytics, they have, they're, very, they're very small in analytics. Um, it's just been a very small table that a couple guys have been sitting at and even the guys that sit around the table next to them are, are have basically been yes men and puppets. So they need a a massive overhaul. Um, if uh, so, that's why I don't know if one guy can do it. They might might have to bring in multiple guys, uh, put one more one guy more in the basketball side of things, one more one guy in the stats analytics side. Um, you know, and they haven't identified how they want to do that yet. The, the one benefit, if the coronavirus has benefited one team, as crazy as it sounds, it's the Chicago Bulls because it's a lot of them time that they've needed. Otherwise, they were up against it. You think about it, if they didn't have a plan in place yet, mm-hmm. they did, have not, and they're concerned about, um, well, which direction does it go? Who do we put the, the keys, you know, who, who's the keys to the car and, and, and all that kind of thing? The way this is going to break down, you're talking about the season ending if this thing didn't happen in three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. You had, would have had to make a decision on your coach. Are you going to let him sit around as lame duck because you haven't brought in a front office guy who's going to dictate if he wants that coach? I mean, so they were really up against a clock that has now been has now freed them. They can use this time to go through a lot more back channels. Guys are away from the team. They can be back channeled a lot easier now, whether it's through – mutual friends, an agent, however they want to do it. So they can get feelers out on guys and get an understanding, hey, can I interview you with John Paxson in the room or do you want to be interviewed 
without John Paxton in the room because you have bigger aspirations as far as what your title is going to be, which a guy like Sam Presti or a guy like that would, would, would demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this, to me, this, this has freed Michael Ryan because this is Michael Reinsdorf's, this is his baby. You know, Jerry will put the final stamp of approval on this thing, but this is Michael Reinsdorf's. Uh, he has to do the legwork on this. He has to identify who, how many, why, how he wants to, what he wants to bring in. And, and so there's still a lot of things he has to figure out and a lot of organizations he's been looking at to figure out what kind of puzzle he wants. So, um, you know, to, to say, when do I think this is going to happen or who this is going to be is so unrealistic right now, because there's still, you, you don't, I mean, you, you, you can't climb that mountain if you don't even know what mountain you want to climb. Mm. And so, you know, that's where this thing is right now. They're still trying to figure out what they want this thing to look like before they figure out who's going to be the guy to go ahead and kind of put the seeds down and, and grow this thing the way they want it. All right. Now, this is probably the toughest question to answer of them all, but I'll ask it. The things you just outlaid, you've been writing for over a year. You've talked about the culture of paranoia in the Chicago Bulls. You've talked about spies in the locker room. Uh, you've talked about how Foreman plays one player against a coach and causes divisions in the team. You talked about the small uh, p- pool of scouts, uh, the weakness and analytics. Uh, this is this is well known to Bulls fans who follow your coverage. The question is, why did the Reinsdorfs put up with this for so long? Um, well, I think first of all, Jerry, uh, and it's not just it's bo- how both teams operate that he's a part of, White Sox and and the Bulls. Um, there's a definite pecking order. Jerry likes a small room with just a couple of voices. Um, and he's got six titles in one trophy case and another title in another trophy case. And how many owners can walk around and say they've delivered seven um, world championships to their city? So as much as people want to point the finger at Jerry Reinsdorf, his side of the argument is, this is what I've delivered to the city of Chicago, so how are you going to cast me out as a bad guy? My argument to that is, yes. His method, how whether people want to say he lucked into Jordan or how, you know, people, I still think it's funny that people bring up that 2005 uh, White Sox World Series and, and kind of deem them as lucky. That, that team was not lucky. That team had the perfect mix of guys, the perfect manager pulling the strings, and they earned that in every way, and that team was built. Uh, it, it, just, it, it to, to discount that team is, is, is a joke. So you can't say Jerry lucked into seven titles. Did Jerry have Michael Jordan to deliver six of them? Yes, but Jerry also put some other people in place. You know, Michael wasn't winning anything without Jerry Krause saying, I want Scottie Pippen. I mean, there's, there's, there are other dominoes in this that you have to give Jerry Reinsdorf credit for. What has happened is Jerry Reinsdorf has become so in love of what was, he hasn't kept his eyes open on what has to be and when you do that as an owner you either evolve or you die and especially in sports and how quickly things have changed and how um you know just things have evolved in in every major sport and you can't rely on saying well back in the day i 
this was the pecking order. My general manager could fire any coach or manager he wanted. That's why Hawk Harrelson fired Tony LaRusso. That's why Tom Thibodeau was allowed to be fired. Um, that's why Phil Jackson and that thing was allowed to be broken up because Kraus thought the organization is better than, than the coach and the player. The organization is above all. You know, that's Jerry's method, methodology, and unfortunately, it no longer works. It's no longer realistic. Chicago, you can't just sell players on come to this big market because it's Chicago because the NBA is so worldwide and, and you can you can be a superstar in Oklahoma City and you can be a superstar down in Houston. You don't have to be a superstar just in L.A., New York, or Chicago anymore, and he's lost touch on that. Um, you know, even hearing John Paxton talk about at the beginning of this year that when I asked him, I asked him two years ago in this rebuild, well, when are you going to get your superstar? And, and his, his, his response then was, well, we're just going to have a great team. And he was trying to say, we're going to be like the Spurs. But the Spurs always had superstars. <laughs> they had, they had a, you know what I mean? So yeah. this idea that you can roll out a great team, Denver's tried that the last couple of years. It doesn't work. Yeah. And Utah's tried that. It doesn't work. At some point, you need that dog superstar to walk through your doors and say, I like the pieces you got here. But they're all a bunch of Robins because now Batman has entered the building. <laughs> Until you can do that and understand that, you're behind the times. And so I think a lot of things have passed Jerry by, and a lot of things have outgrown Jerry's methodology. And that doesn't mean he isn't willing to change. He just hasn't yet. Yeah. And so, you know, the White Sox thing is interesting because that is a foot in the door of – blowing something up and trying to rebuild it the way the Cubs did and, and copying that model. So I'm anxious to see if that actually, if we get a baseball season, if that actually starts taking off um, and, and working in a positive direction. But his his NBA mindset is way behind the time. Oh, my goodness. And I'll just say this before we leave this. The biggest mistake he made was not holding Jerry Krause in check in 1998 when uh, he allowed Kraus to say, this is the last season, 1997, at the start of that season, this is the yep. last season, I'm getting rid of Jackson at the And Jordan had already said, I'm not going to play for the Bulls for any other coach. And so you had to choose. Yep. Joe, you, had to, you're the, you own the Chicago Bulls. You have to choose between Jerry Kraus and Michael Jeffrey Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. And he chose right. Kraus. And I love Jerry Kraus. I think Jerry Kraus did a great job of building those bulls. I think he's the most uh, underpraised executive in sports in Chicago. The, the writers never liked him for some reason. Well, because he, he right. was obnoxious to him. But but still, it's the, I just feel that Jerry Reinstorf should have stepped up and then said, you know what, Kraus, you've done a great job, but we're sticking with Michael Jeffrey Jordan. What do he wants on this one? Um, all right, let's move on to the other article you wrote. Uh, it, uh, I'm really starting to appreciate Zach Levine this year. I feel, feel he, uh, one of the only bright lights the Bulls had uh, was how hard he played, and um, he was entertaining at least. And then you wrote a story that said there's a good chance he may no longer be a Bull uh, in this next year or the year after that. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I just think he's tired of the culture of losing. I mean, this guy is never – Never won at every at any, any level, mm -hmm. um, so and that wears on him. He, so there are some guys that that doesn't bother. You know, it doesn't. You know, a guy like you know, obviously a, 
everyone knows I go back and forth. I got my home up in Minneapolis, and for years, I would when I was covering the White Sox, I would come back here in the winter to Minneapolis, and you watch Kevin Love get his 25 and his 12, and not give a damn about winning. Mm. It was just all empty calories, losing basketball. Got him a lot of money. Got him a lot of numbers, and then a guy thinks, okay winning I need winning and then he goes to a place that wins and what happens he shrinks Zach is not that Zach is not Kevin Love he's not a guy that just wants to put up his numbers and would shrink under the light of winning and I think that wears on him I think it wears on him that he's especially this year when he felt I'm a top player I'm a top 12 player in the Eastern Conference I'm better than a Middleton or I'm better than whoever you want to say Trey Young or however was on that all-star team, but because of my standings and my record, especially when it came to the coaches voting and they voted strictly by winning, um, it cost me an all-star appearance and it cost me my place in the hierarchy of what I think I am in the NBA. And that was a kick in the sack for him. And I, and I, and I think that was a realization that if this team that I've committed to can't get it right when my contract is up, I need to go to a place that gets it right, and I don't have to be Alpha. I can be Beta, or I can be Robin, or I can be that third option. I mean, you look at him and his skill set. I mean, how great would he be on a team like Milwaukee where, you know, that he starts the game, he's playing with Giannis, Giannis does his thing, they stagger the minutes, then he comes in, does his thing in the second quarter. When Giannis is getting his rest, they stagger Giannis and Middleton and Zach and kind of have that and then in the fourth quarter, you put all three of those dogs out there and you say, okay, go ahead and try and, and, and beat us because now we've got a third threat. Or the Lakers, you know, with LeBron and, and, and Anthony Davis, you know, to have that wing or that guard that, that Zach's athletic ability. And, and I'll say this about Zach matured in a lot of ways. He's always been great with the media. But the, the fact that he's become that go-to guy and that guy that doesn't pull punches and says the right thing, but also allows you to read between the lines when he's unhappy and just kind of gets it. Um, you know, he's been great to cover. He's been great to watch. And, and, and basically, I, he deserves better than this. Here's my fear. Mm-hmm. My fear is Michael Reinsdorf underwhelms in his selection. And then they double down on that fear and say, this guy wants to leave everything as is for a year to assess it. And so he can make changes. That means, you know, Jim Boylan's back and John Paxson's still at the table and he allows Gar to be a scout. And oh that, that, that yeah. would, that, I mean, Lowry Markinen already wants out. Yeah. Zach's not far behind to do that to this group of players would be worst case scenario titanic every player scrambling for a boat and trying to paddle his ass somewhere else and 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 zach and lowry would lead that charge um and that's why i just don't know i don't think i don't think they're going to hit a home run with this hire or this change and i think that's going to be enough and i'm not saying it's going to be a bad i'm just saying it's not going to be a home run it's not going to be what the bulls fans and the bulls as a worldwide brand deserve and I think that is going to lead to Zach saying, you know what, I'll be a third guy for the Clippers. I'll be a second guy for the Clippers. I'll be, you know, and, I, and so that's why I, I've just kind of taken that attitude in, in, in what's going to be the future of the Bulls in two more years. By the way, you mentioned Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, and 
he you, you say I, I I've seen you uh, this in your stories that he wants out. Uh, yeah, Lori Markkinen has been the biggest disappointment of this season, in my humble opinion. Now, is there some right. unknown reason, uh, some uh, that we don't know about that's contributed to? No, I, I think we know about everything. He he hates his role. They've made him a spot up shooter, um, and he doesn't. He and Zach can't play well together. I mean, you look at his February last year, it wasn't because of Zach. It was because he and Chris Dunn. You know, Zach was Zach was injured or Zach was coming back from injury and a lot of that February Lowry Markin and tear. Zach and Lowry Markin have rarely, first of all, they haven't even played that many games together and they've rarely played successful games together. They just, Zach just doesn't know how to get him going or when to get him going. And Lowry checks out if he's not going. And, you know, Chris Dunn, you say what you want about Chris Dunn, but last year they had something, you know, before Chris Dunn took that face dive on uh, on the mm-hmm. dunk in the Golden State game two seasons ago, he and Lowry had some good things going without Zach out there. Yeah. And then last year he and Lowry had some good things going. But it's almost like Zach and Kobe White, have found a nice little rhythm that Zach and Lowry Markinen have not been able to find. And that's because Kobe can do things with the ball in his hand. All right. Let's, you know, and, and, yeah. and I just think they've, they've misused Lowry Markinen. They've taken away, you know, they've taken away the mid range from a lot of guys, but Lowry Markinen was really pissy about them taking the mid range from him because he likes the mid range. Okay. They've not understood his athleticism. There's just been a lot of things, a lot of missteps they've made with Lowry Markinen. All right, we'll leave Larry Marker for the moment. I'll just say this in passing. I hear what you're saying about the shooting, but can you go get a rebound every now and then? <laughs> Come on, it's not just the shooting, Joe. He's, I think his rebound is in half. He's like, I see these these lines. Yeah, the rebounds went. Yeah, right. I can't blame that on Zach. Levine. And I, but I think I think a lot of that had to do also with when you add another rebounder in in Thad Young, who's taking up his minutes because that was the other misstep they made. They thought Thad Young could come in, play the three, four, and sometimes even the five. And they quickly found out that Thad Young is still a dog, as they put it, but is only a dog against fours. He can't guard threes. Threes were killing him this year. Yeah. So now, you, now you've taken a lane away that you were going to say, okay, we're going to have this lineup of death where we put Thad Young at the four, Lowry at the five, because Lowry had success at the five last year in that February run, and, and it's going to work out perfectly. Well... It didn't work out perfectly because all of a sudden Lowry was disinterested or disengaged at the five because of how they were using him. And he kind of was just checking out or it's just a mess. It was just a mess. All right. Let's close down with a little optimism. Kobe White. Should I be excited about him? Um, Not as a point guard, but you should be excited about him as a, just a guy that goes out there as a combo guard and has no fear and can score and can is a willingness to play defense. He's not the greatest defender. Um, you know, the two things, the, the two big knocks on him haven't changed. He is a flash in a straight line, but he doesn't have like that wiggle that you'd like to see from a, from a ball handler. He's very stiff almost for a guy that is so fast. It's, 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 it's an uncanny kind of thing for a guy having the same package where you're that fast. 
um, but your stick. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, and that, that can be worked on. There's drills for that and stuff. So that, that's, you know, that's fine. Um, the other thing is just, he's still, he's not a point guard. His court vision is just not there. He wasn't a, a true point guard at, at, at North Carolina. He's not a true point guard in the NBA. Um, he can play point guard for a while. He can give you minutes at the point guard spot, but he's a combo guard. So what, what you could be excited about is the jump he's made, the progression he's made, uh, his fearlessness. He's not afraid of the big moment. Um, dude could flat out score. He's, he's just one of those guys that could fall out of bed and put up 20 in the NBA game. He's <laughs> yeah. a natural score. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to say um, there should be optimism about him. Um, but he's kind of Zach Levine light. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I think you can move on, eventually move on from a guy like Zach, because are you, are you building this thing around Zach and Lowry or is it kind of shifting now where you say, maybe we should build it around the ACC guys that have actually done some things in college and got their teams, you know, you know, won a conference title and Wendell Carter and, and, and Kobe White. So, you know, I want to see how that kind of develops. Um, you're still going to need a superstar to be the, the main focus of this thing eventually. But to me, there was some promise the last month of what we saw from, 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 from Kobe and Bulls fans can at least be excited about that. All right. Listen, it doesn't take much to get a Bulls fan excited. Okay. <laughs> we've been, right. we've been at this point, yeah, right yeah, at this point, I uh, guess getting Gar Foreman out of the building is a major victory for Bulls fans. Uh, the win. <laughs> yeah, the the winning uh getting to the playoffs is the next thing. Joe Colley, thank you so much for making time for us and please stay safe uh with the virus and we'll be talking to you soon, all right? Uh you do the same, my man. All right, that's the great Joe Colley. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care everybody. That was great, Joe. Good to go. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.